Hey, everybody. I'm Brent Allen with the Blog Talk Radio Network's Big Time Talker podcast, and we're simulcasting today with our friends at Headline Books and their Christmas and holiday book extravaganza. And I love to talk to people about movies and TV and the entertainment business. And today we're going to talk to somebody who may possibly be the biggest entertainer I've ever interviewed that you've never heard of. His name is Don McLeod, and I guarantee you, you've seen Don on television in a movie, but you may not know him by name because many times he's behind a mask that you see if you're watching over your shoulder there, Don. Hey, how are you? I'm very good, Bert. Thank you. Thanks for being here. You have a brand new book called Gorilla Tales. It's just hitting the stores uh, in time for the holidays. And it's all about this, this time you spent uh, inside this amazing gorilla costume that has led you down this unusual path in Hollywood. But before you were a Hollywood bigwig, you had to start somewhere. So let's go all the way back. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a little town called Elk, California. It had two names. It was so small, the town. We only had 90 people. And then uh, it had a second name, Greenwood. And it still maintains those two names. And then a few years later, I, I moved to the metropolis of Manchester, California, which had 250 people. You're a small and town guy. Yeah, small town. So my folks had a little farm uh, off on the side of the road, about a couple of miles from the actual town. So, so that was where I really got my start in life, not in anything to do with movies. So I think my, what part my of the state of California is uh, is your town with two names in? Yes, it was. I was a Canadian by birth, but my parents moved to. California, where my uh, mom taught school and my dad worked uh, various, uh, like, lumber mill jobs and so forth. Uh, what were you into when you were in school? Were you into theater and, and that sort of thing? Were you into sports? What did you do as a kid? Well, I got, uh, my first start was I was a sugar plum in the Christmas pageant that my <laughs> mother directed. And I had a little dance that we did and unfortunately the sugar plum and the candy cane got hooked up connected in cost costume wise and it got a huge laugh and that's when i first discovered gosh you know maybe there's something to this showbiz stuff here i was in the first grade and uh i think from then on i was uh, uh, pretty much of a bitten by the make them laugh bug so you were. You got it early. And so uh, were you in the typical high school theater productions and that sort of thing? Yes, I was a four-sport athlete, and uh, I was kind of a big deal in a, in a very small high school, and I thought it was simple to succeed in show business. So I got the lead in two plays. I played Scrooge in The Christmas Carol, and, you know, that was obviously pretty awful because I was like a 16-year-old trying to be Scrooge. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a, an automatic path to the head cheerleader's heart right there, I don't think. No, it wasn't. But uh, I was the captain of the various, most of the sports teams. So uh, there was a connection there, too. And uh, I tried to do everything, I think. And I thought it was possible to do everything until I hit Los Angeles uh, years later and found out uh, it wasn't possible to do everything. 
Well, you've done an awful lot. And if you're just joining us, Don McLeod is our guest today. His brand new memoir is Gorilla Tales, and we'll tell you why in just a couple of minutes. So, so when you left that small town and you moved to Los Angeles, was it with the express desire to be in the entertainment business, in the movie business? I know you were uh, a mime at one point, a professional mime. Yes, uh, that came later. In high school, uh, I had a drama teacher named Anthony Bernard who uh, used to do the Ramona pageant, which is a yearly uh, big pageant done in uh, Inland Empire in Los Angeles area. And he discovered Raquel Welsh in that pageant. So, and then he uh, moved downward in his career to teach drama at my high school, which was the Point Arena High School in Mendocino County. And he encouraged me. I said, gee, I'd like to look at this. I'm kind of still interested. I want to be a baseball player. And I did real well. But I said, I'm really interested in this theater stuff. So he got me an audition for the Pasadena Playhouse. And I did well at the audition and was accepted and so the next year after high school i enrolled in pasadena playhouse which was a predominantly well-known acting school with sally struthers from all in the family was uh, there and lots of other notable people and i was uh, the struggling actor beginning but that's where i really started did you at, at any point early on think, you know, I, I, because you were a star athlete, right? You were, as you said, a big deal in a small town. Do you think, you know, I've got leading man material and, you know, I'm going to be the next, uh, whatever the equivalent was back then, Burt Reynolds, um, because clearly your career took a different path. Or at that point, were you just happy to do whatever you could do to be in show business? Yes, I was just interested in uh I wanted to be an actor mainly on stage. I didn't really think about film and television so much. I mainly wanted to do more plays and uh, I didn't really have, I wasn't said I've got to be a star. I just liked to do, wanted to do the work. And what happened was uh, I transferred from Pasadena Playhouse to a school of performing arts in San Diego. It was a four year theater school and when I got there, I first got interested in mime through a mime class. And that opened me up to, oh, there's another option besides the Shakespeare plays I did in the, you know, the typical things an actor would study in theater school. I specialized in mime and they didn't really have a division where they said you can do that. I just self-proclaimed myself a mime major <laughs> and uh, that got me into a lot of different areas. And I think my athletic background uh, really helped too with mine because uh, it gave me the opportunity to be both physical and study theater and then combine those two. Because they were kind of separate worlds. The jock said, oh, what are you doing? trying to do plays and still in college for one year, I was on the baseball team and they kind of thought, yeah, yeah, what are you, Sissy McLeod? What are you doing all those plays for and putting makeup on? And then, the, you know, then the uh, theater people thought, what are you hanging around all those jocks for? And I had a split <laughs> personality because I was like 50-50 all through high school with the jocks and with the, the 
I guess you would call them nerds, the theater nerds. And uh, so, the book is uh, is from Don McLeod. He's our guest today. Gorilla Tales, a memoir. My life as a professional primate. If you have any questions or you want to just check in and say hi to Don, then send us a message in uh, our Zoom room chat room and. We'll, we'll ask those questions as we get into the conversation with Don here. Guarantee you, you've seen Don on TV uh, or in a movie at some point along the way. All right, so you're at the Pasadena Playhouse. That's, that's kind of a big deal for a young guy. And, and then you get involved in learning mime, and you actually studied mime under, I guess, arguably the most famous mime of all time. W- were you intimidated by Marcel Marceau, or was it one of these things where – you know, you're a kid and you've got all this bravado and he's just a guy with white stuff on his face. You kind of got it pretty much right. I was uh, a little bit intimidated, but I thought uh, the world's my oyster and I'm going to pry it open. And I literally pried open the screen the first time I saw Marcel Marceau, the stage screen that came down at the end and I crawled under it and I I wanted to meet him. And I had a a teacher who knew him quite well in theater school, and he gave me an introductory uh, letter. And uh, Marcia was going, no, 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 there is no time to talk. I, I said, no, 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 who are you? <laughs> and I went, oh, please, wait, wait. I'm choking my day. She was actually a female mime teacher at my San Diego theater school. So I gave him this note, and he looked, and he said, you you know the Chuki? I said, yeah. I said, we oui, read oui. And... Uh, that's how I met Marceau, and then he said, uh, come tomorrow and do a little audition for me before my matinee show on, on I think it was Sunday or Saturday, I forget the day, but I, I went to the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in, in uh, Los Angeles and uh, met him early, and he said, all right, show me some of the stuff you call mine, and he kind of folded his arms and looked uh, very disdainfully at me, and uh, so I, I jumped out and I did, I picked a flower, went, and, and Marcel went, no, 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 this is not how you do it. And he said, he showed me basically, he said, you need to break down each moment you seize the flower. And he said, first you seize the flower and then you see the beautiful girl. And then you reach for the flower and gently put it out of the ground and becomes the fragrance of the flower. And then you sneak it again and you give it to the beautiful girl and put it in her hair. Then you grab her arm and you kiss her arm and voila, the beautiful girl and your inner emotion becomes one. And that, and he, he said, what I did was he said, you yanked the flower out of the ground and inhaled it up your nostril and it was over in two seconds. He said, no, 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 fill in these motions. I thought, aha, I get it, I get it. And uh, I, I was a very loud mime too, because I had a rock band that was a combination Genesis and Emerson Lake and Palmer kind of uh, band. And I was the silent lead singer. I didn't sing, but I did all the stories through body movement. And uh, we had uh, San Diego's biggest uh, rock promoter as our manager. So we opened for uh, different groups of 
Fleetwood Mac was our, our big one. So it was quite unusual for a mime artist to be playing to 14,000 people in the San Diego sports arena. And uh, uh, that, so rock, Marcel Marceau called me the rock and roll mime. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, I kind of broke some bounds by having a band and being musical instead of just a mime. It's a whole different thing, and, and it's probably hard for younger folks who might be watching or listening to uh, to Don Don McLeod, our guest on the Big Time Talker podcast with our friends at, at Headline Books, his new book, Gorilla Tales, a memoir. Um, for the younger folks to imagine kind of how big mimes were there in the 70s. Um, you, you just talked about the first time you, you got to interact with Marcel Marceau in a big way. He was playing the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, which seats thousands, right? Yes. And then there were, you know, network TV specials. And I remember as a kid seeing Shields and Yarnell uh, do mime and, and all that. So much like, you know, Evil Knievel in the 1970s, it, it was of a place and time where it was extraordinarily big. And, and you were kind of swept up into that. Do you remember it being kind of a big deal at the time? Yes, it was. Uh, I mean, I started when I graduated theater school, I thought, well, where do I do shows? So I put together uh, a 40, 50 minute show with my band, sometimes solo, and we did high schools and colleges. And I, on weekends when the weather was good, I worked in uh, Balboa Park in San Diego and just met people one-on-one. -on -one. And it, we would have anywhere from 100 to maybe 250, 300 people watching me do mime in the street and it, it was at the same time that Robert Shields from Shields and Yarnell was working in Union Square and he became the darling of Herb Kane from the San Francisco Chronicle and things went up and we both had the same manager at the time so we were kind of uh, I remember uh, we were a little competitive and Robert always said he said you were very good, but he said, I'm going to be uh, more famous than you because he said, I'm a businessman and, and you're not. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, I kind of went, all right. Uh, rivalry said, there. between. Yeah, you. it was rivalry. And I thought there's no, you know, it wasn't exactly like Mike Tyson squaring off with somebody in, the, in a re reunion ring. But uh, we've since, we're still respectful and, and friends of each other. And Robert was, besides Marcel Marceau, he was the most famous mime in the world, really. Uh, you know, I felt- No matter how big the, the rivalry is, if it's two mimes, you're never gonna have a shouting match. So that's no. never gonna- <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it was big then, it's not big now. Any theories as to why? Yes, uh, mime fell on, kind of rough times because a lot of people that were wannabe mimes didn't really study, they didn't know the techniques. And so they just slapped some makeup on and jumped out in the street and followed people. And they tried to do what, uh, you know, I was doing performance pieces with beginning, middle and end, full stories. And Robert was very much, uh, Robert Shields that is, was very, interactive with people and he was so wonderfully spontaneous and bold as could be and uh, uh, so I think what happened was a lot of obnoxious people 
without training went to the streets and thought they could make a quick buck and and they really became an irritant and a lot of people reacted to that who were in the business making commercials and movies and they said ah we're going to put a mime in there and what's a mime going to uh let's get even with that guy that followed us in westwood you know and made fun of us and there's, you know, Cirque du Soleil uses wonderful clown-like mimes. I, I was invited to join the, the original Cirque du Soleil company back in, boy, early 80s, I guess it was. And I was going to have to travel around and, like, make $300 a week and sleep with Stinky the Clown. And I, I kind of thought, uh, you know, I've got it pretty good with what I'm doing here. I, I, I know Cirque du Soleil would have been exciting, but... I, I never wanted to be a clown and I never wanted to run away and join the circus. And... <laughs> Although the opportunity was given to you. Yes. Don McLeod is our guest today. The book Gorilla Tales. And you see a gorilla head over Don's shoulder there if you happen to be watching the video. If you're listening to our Big Time Talker podcast, you can find the video replay on the Headline Books Facebook page and you can see what we're talking about. Uh, and if you'd like to pick up Don's book, it's available now at Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Um, folks are chiming in with comments and questions. One of them is uh, from Al DeLago, who says that uh, to tell you hello and that they loved you at Expo 74. What was Expo 74? Expo 74 was the World's Fair in Spokane, Washington. For six months, I was the resident mime with my company. So I had uh, two dear friends of mine, uh, my ex-partner, Macarena, as in dance, uh, we were together a long time. She was our leading lady, and Mark Wenzel, my longtime friend, was the other mime, and he's still a professional mime working here in L.A. And Al used to come and he, as the little boy, and his favorite thing was to watch and interact with the mime troupe. And so that's how I met Al, and he, all these years later, and then when Facebook showed up, somehow he punched in Don the Mime guy from Expo 74. And we're now friends and, uh, and Facebook buddies. And we, uh, you know, that's the power of, of Facebook and the internet. That's amazing. Very good. Al, thank you for chiming in. If you have a question or comment for our guest, Don McLeod today, send it in in our chat room. Um, let's talk about your transition to wearing the suit that became your calling card for uh, amazingly, over three decades now, um, how is it that you became the American Tourister Gorilla? And and we'll remember those commercials if you're of a certain age, because they were everywhere, and it seemed like they were on TV all the time. How did that happen for you? Yes, the, I had uh, done a gorilla in my mime class. It would have been 19, probably 70 nine i guess uh, uh so someone saw me in this and they recommended me and i was in a really bad b movie that was never released but i, I write about that experience in gorilla tales because it was uh, i had to fight all these animals and so forth but that was my first suit gorilla job we shot it up in big bear it was called the galactic connection and it was, uh, it didn't really have anything to do with the galaxy or any connection to anything. <laughs> Not well named. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And I, I fought a grizzly bear. I fought a trained buffalo. I fought uh, 
all kinds of wild animals in it and I was did all the stunts and uh, survived and so it was a very fun project to get me started but that led up to in 1980 American Tourister had used a real gorilla I think his name was Willie Bobo and he was actually an, an uh, uh, a, a large chimp and he didn't work out or he, and so they decided, well, we need to redo this because they'd done that in 1970 with the chimp. And then they said, this is 1980s, said we're going to redo and bring back the idea of a primate. So let's do a gorilla. So they said, where do we get a gorilla? So they had an audition. They had stuntmen show up and the stuntmen were full of bravado and amazing stunt ability, but they weren't trained as movement artists or, or an actor like I was. So they were not finding the right person. And so the, the gentleman, Oscar winning Rick Baker, who created many, many amazing characters and gorillas, was hired to build the gorilla. And at the last minute they called him and said, Rick, this isn't working out. None of these stunt guys are working. He said, well, I know a guy named Don McLeod. He lives near me and uh, uh, why don't you see him? And they said, gosh, it, it's like uh, 20 minutes to six. We're closing the auditions at six. And uh, so Rick called me and he said, Don, if you can get over to Universal Studios in the next 15 minutes, uh, you, you might have a chance at this. So I just threw everything in there, raced over there, made it about five minutes to six, and the casting ladies on her phone not even listening. I ran in, I said, I'm the guy from Rick Baker's shop. I'm the, the mime guy, I'm the gorilla guy. Maybe I'd love to do it. And uh, uh, they said, they kind of, she rolled her eyes and spun away and was picked up a phone call. And the guy filming the audition said, okay, do your thing quickly, we gotta go. I did my gorilla as fast as I could without a suit, just me jumping around. Then I noticed the casting lady was not looking. She was on the phone talking and smoking a cigarette and not even watching the audition. She could watch the tape later, but I thought I got to get her attention. So I went off camera and ran up, but I guess they followed me with the camera and I jumped up on her desk, went <laughs> and I took the phone out and went <laughs> picking and I hung it up and then I like pulled her head down and I'm looking through her hair for bugs and eating mimed fleas out of her hair and then I took her papers and threw them off her desk and jumped off the desk and just went <coughs> and then went steaming out and it was gone and I thought I'll never hear from them again but at least they're going to remember me so I went home and put a pizza in the oven and started watching the Laker game. And uh, the phone rang and it was the casting department from American Tourister Luggage. And the head of uh, the department said, is this Don McLeod? I said, yes. And, uh, and he, he said, well, we loved your audition. I go, thanks. Uh, uh, I guess I kind of went a little too crazy there at the end. And, he said, no, no, that's exactly what we're looking for, a gonzo gorilla that's potentially out of control. You've got the job. Wow. And I went, I thought it would be one day of work in New York and get the job and get a session fee and be done. And it became like a 16 year, sometimes on, sometimes off 
we did 10 commercials for the company and won some awards and I became a professional gorilla thinking there would be one day of work. You know, I tell people you have to be open to opportunities wherever they come and you are an extreme example of being open to whatever comes your way. The premise of those commercials, if I remember correctly, and it has been a few years, was that American tourister luggage could stand up to an enormous beating, no matter what happened, even the kind of beating you would get from a gorilla. Is that, am I remembering that sort of correctly? Absolutely correct, Burke. Uh, uh, they, uh, they wanted to create uh, the idea that the luggage was indestructible. And so that was, the first one we did was called Hotel. And it was me kicking the suitcases uh, down the back stairs. And then uh, I'm the gorilla and the suitcase tumbling on the stairs. And then it cuts to the lady who is waiting for a bag and a bellman. And the bellman opens the door and he's transformed into a human bellman. And I'm the bellman as, as the gorilla. And we both have a little bellman's cap on bellman yeah bellman and so the door opens and she gives me takes a suitcase and then i sort of smile and i'm kind of like waiting for a tip and she gives me a banana and, and then <laughs> that was that commercial and it took off and was very uh popular the next one basically it because it took off and became pop yeah here we are we're seeing on the, on the screen on on the left side with the bellman's cap that was the first commercial uh and it won a clio which was the equivalent of like a grammy or an oscar i guess for the advertising agencies and then then that's me in new york with one of new york city's finest uh, escorting me uh, around uh, Manhattan, I think it's Fifth Avenue, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, so you walk down Fifth Avenue in a gorilla suit. Um, I would imagine there are looks that go with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a, every time, they kept me in Los Angeles. I guess they didn't want me to get too familiar, but they would fly me in. And the home of American Tourister was in Warren, Rhode Island. And uh, so they would, fly me into New York where our advertising agency was and they would plan out how to how to uh, get publicity and you know just crazy things and I think I told this story maybe to you before but the gorilla got a lot of trouble because uh, Ralph Nader had seen the gorilla commercials where uh, the, the ape, this was a different one, and the gorilla's jumping in the suitcases as a baggage handler in the airport. So he said, oh, there's no way those suitcases would really hold up to uh, a gorilla, you know, jumping on them. So he was a consumer advocate person for those people under 50 who might not remember uh, Ralph Bader. <laughs> Yes. But he was a, a good guy, essentially, but he was challenging, you know, false pretenses. So they took the American Tourister Gorilla, they being Ralph Nader's television show crew, to, I think, to the Miami Zoo, and they threw the suitcase in for uh, Willie Bobo or whoever he was called at the time. The, the real gorilla in the zoo went... <coughs> He tore the suitcase in half in about 10 seconds and then went over and filled the lid with water and we're <laughs> blowing fart bubbles into the water. And 
<laughs> and they said, see, we, we won the tourister false advertising. Gorilla can't, suitcase can't stand up to a gorilla. So they went into a panic. He said, Don, you're done. Thanks. Great, great couple of commercials, but we're doomed. We, we got to fold up operation. So I said, how about if I go on the various television shows with the $50,000 gorilla costume and the suitcases and say, no one ever said a real gorilla would not be able to tear the suitcase in half. I'm a 150 pound actor in a really good costume and the suitcases are really strong. And I'll show you right now and it worked. So the owner of Tourister, a man named Dan Hillenbrand, fascinating guy. He, he thought there's three things that happen in life. You, um, you're born, so you need to go to the hospital. You die and uh, you need a casket. So he started a casket company and a hospital bed company. And then he said, in between, you got to get away. So you travel. So what do you need a suitcase? So his third company was American Tourist Luggage. And he had Batesville casket and uh, uh, hospital bed furniture. And I fit in. So he, he was pretty much out there as, as a, he was like Al Davis of the Raiders as an owner. He liked controversy and I got in trouble a couple of times once involving Disney on parade uh, they were we were both uh, booked at the same Cherry Hill New Jersey shopping mall and I decided all of the little uh, happy-go-lucky Disney characters Minnie and Mickey and Goofy weren't gonna get a step up on the tough guy American tourist gorilla so I had a face-off with them and it didn't go well I, I made the mistake of sort of uh, like the family dog romancing Minnie's leg in one moment and then Goofy came over and kicked me and then Mickey jumped on me and we had a brawl between Mickey, Minnie, Goofy and myself and uh, it got on the news and went uh, went kind of at, there was no internet at the time but it there was an AP and various other UPI. I, I would pay good money to see that video of you mixing it up with Disney characters. Yeah. So they said, oh, this is not good. And the, the uh, press company, the, the PR firm that was handling it said, we wanted you to be Gonzo, but this has gone too far. There was, there was like me molesting Minnie Mouse. And, <laughs> <laughs> They said, we may have to let you go. And they said, we're going to have to talk to Don, uh, Dan Hillenbrand, the owner, and just stand by. And they said, this isn't the image we want for the tourist or gorilla. He's out, you know, Disney is an iconic uh, brand. And, you know, we, we've gone too far, Don. I said, okay, I'm so sorry. I just thought you wanted me to be fully in control wherever I went and the take no prisoners, guns or gorilla strikes again. They said, yes, but not, not with an icon like Minnie Mouse and fighting Mickey and Goofy. <laughs> oh. You may have gone a little too far there. I'm, I'm just saying. I think possible. you're saying it right, Bert. The, um, if we look at you on the screen, we see a gorilla head behind you. We see, you know, pictures of the, you all through the book, by the way, Gorilla Tales, you'll see lots of amazing photos of Don uh, in his, uh, his costume, I guess you call it. it. 
Oh yeah. Tell me a little bit about the suit itself. You know, how do you get in it? How do you get out of it? How hot is it in there? How much does the thing weigh? Yeah, it originally, uh, the, the one you're seeing the pictures on the screen, the Rick Baker designed uh, gorilla suit weighed about 50 pounds. And it was mainly heavy because there was a lot of heavy, like car bumper type rubber in the long arms. You're seeing in this one picture, ah, I'm pointing at something that isn't there. Uh, the, the short arms and the long arms are different. The, the long arms were, they're locked off permanent and they were for knuckle walking. The short arms were for grabbing suitcases and mini mouses and <laughs> things. They were like hams. Uh, so you start with that suit and then the one I have now is a little different. It has a muscle suit underneath. So it's a, a spandex suit with uh, foam padding inside to create the shapes of muscles so you put on clean underwear first then the muscle suit and then it's one piece so it zippers in the back so you open up the back it takes uh, one or two people to get you in it and well, you have to have help to get in the thing pardon me you have to have help to get in there yes we do i have uh, my friend who now plays the gorilla in he did a couple of american thurster print ads uh, adam mayer he's my my good friend and my gorilla protege and uh, so that's how we start the last thing is the head and the head uh, the nose lips and eyebrows are controlled by animatronic radio controls like you'd fly a little model airplane or a little race car. It's got a little joystick on it and a puppeteer operates that. And then the mouth opens and shuts with the a chin strap, a chin cup underneath that I or Adam now can move inside the gorilla head. So we can open and close the mouth the lips can curl up and can smile or pucker and blow kisses and sniff with independent nostril movement and uh, eyebrows can go up and down for anger or surprise or quizzical and because the gorillas use a lot of commercials and it's it, it's often required to have kind of more expressive facial expressions than uh, a real gorilla would have but it's pretty close to a real gorilla so I can put it on. You want to pop the head just so you see what it looks like? Do I? Yes, I do, Don McLeod. Watch this. Glasses coming up. Now I'm blind, but it's sometimes it's a good thing. You're now, we don't have the uh, radio controls hooked up. Uh, I didn't get time to, to find them, actually, because I'm so chaotic here during the pandemic that I couldn't find the radio controls. But we start like this, yeah. and I normally you black out the eyebrows, and then I have brown scleral contact lens. They're bigger irises than a human, but I have blue eyes, so you'll see. Well, you wouldn't see the pink here. It would be with uh, something called rubber mask makeup, but uh, this is. This might quite possibly be the strangest interview I've ever conducted. Yeah, so this is that's how we, we get on. And with, you know, with the uh, black contact lens and their big lens, they're like putting uh, uh, 
quarters in your each eye. They're very uncomfortable, but they they match the shape of the uh, of gorilla's uh, eyeballs. So, and you know, quite a bit. The teeth they're sculpted from dental acrylic, just like when you get false teeth at the dentist. So they make them, and uh, you know, they have a mold. So, so that's the basis of it. And you breathe in your own carbon monoxide. Are you hearing me okay? Well, you know, I mean, it sounds like you have a gorilla head on, but other yeah. than that, yes. So we, you get the point. <laughs> ah. Ah. So, so that's the that's kind of how that works. There's no repairing myself. I does he have a name? Does the gorilla suit have a name? Well, it it depends on the project uh, that he's uh, apparently pull myself together here. The the project. Uh, I like to call him just generically Gonzo the Gorilla, but he was Atlas the Gorilla when I was Atlas Moving Van, the Atlas Van Lines Gorilla for a while. I was been uh, um, Willie the Gorilla, and sometimes I Hey You the Gorilla. No, <laughs> you know. So, so, so you, there was no Gorilla uh, Gorilla exclusivity with American Tourister. You could be a Gorilla for someone else then. Well, I, I couldn't do any competitive stuff, but I was able to uh, do, for example, movies and things. So, so the uh, producers of the movie Trading Places, you're probably going to ask me about that, but they saw the commercials and they said, well, we need a gorilla in Trading Places. And I don't, I'm not sure if it was actually in the original script. I think it was, but they they had a bad Halloween suit in, uh, yeah, there it is. So, so the bad Halloween suit is, uh, Jim Belushi, John Belushi's, uh, quite well known brother. Really? And then I the quote unquote real gorilla behind this shot with Eddie Murphy and Dan Eck right there. So. so that was Jim Belushi in the bad suit. Yes. Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd and you. Correct. <laughs> so, and by the way, that's that's one of my all-time favorite movies, and I'm not sure what that says about me. Probably not good things. No, um, I didn't. <laughs> that movie slays me every time I see it. And now that, that I've interviewed you, I'm going to look at it in a whole different way. You've done a bunch of movies with a bunch of big stars, and I'm curious as to what that interaction is like with an Eddie Murphy or a Dan Aykroyd or uh, Steve Martin or whoever you're doing a movie with. Uh are they respectful of you? Do they see you as sort of a prop? What's it like? They were very respectful because the gorilla, you know, especially at the time, I think the, the suit was about 35,000. It would be now, I just talked to my friend. We've redone the suit. I have an, a different suit now, but it that suit is about 50,000. But they said if they, they went and redid the suit, it would be probably uh, 80,000 now. They were very respectful because the costume was so good and everyone knew the commercial. And I'd been on the Today Show, as you see in the picture with Jane Polly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that really made me kind of somebody that even celebrities were going, hey, I want a picture with the gorilla. I'd like, <laughs> I want to meet him. You know, I've met lots of famous actors, but I haven't met a famous gorilla. So I was in my own kind of uh, uh, sphere, and because I did so many promotional TV shows and interview shows, 
everybody maybe had caught me or they saw a newspaper article or the Ralph Nader challenge and then heard that American Tourister was still going because I had uh, come up with the idea of showing the suit and explaining that it was still strong luggage even though the real gorilla could tear it apart. And, uh, so, so working with stars, but they were wanting a picture with me, which I thought this is funny. You know, here I am with like Eddie Murphy or, or Steve Martin and Man with Two Brains, other movies I did. And, and uh, I found these opportunities were pretty interesting. But in my book, I did a lot of projects that were not big. I talk about the famous movies that I was in and the behind the scenes stories and stuff, but there was a lot of little stuff. Like I did a, a promotion in Springfield, Illinois for Wagner Mazda, and they were having guerrilla warfare with the Toyota dealership and other dealerships across the street and in the area. So they said, all right, we're gonna, go across the street, buy a brand new Toyota pickup, bring it onto the Mazda lot, and hire Don to stand on top of the Toyota pickup with a sledgehammer and destroy the competition in his gorilla suit. And again, and my agent at the time got me the job and said, sounds good, I'll do it. So for a weekend, I was uh, the Wagner Mazda sledgehammer welding gorilla taking on all the co competition. See, that's the best. Those are the kinds of stories that I love. Because, yeah, you're going to get the big high-profile stuff, but the other stuff is even more interesting. Yeah. You're out in the real world, mixing with the real people, but doing it in a gorilla suit. Absolutely. It was so fun. Now, now, what happens, and, and forgive me for those of you with a sensitive stomach who might be watching or listening, what happens if you have to go to the bathroom in the suit? Because it looks like it's a whole it's a whole thing to get in that. So it's probably a whole production to get out of that. Yes. You need your assistant or someone who's can figure out how to take a like a twenty-two inch long zipper up and down without catching the gorilla hair in it and then peel you out of it. And uh, because it's one piece suit, you have to um, you have to if you're in a hurry, there's no way you can quickly go. On Trading Places, we had a standby Pepsi bottle, giant Pepsi bottle. And I recall <laughs> we had to go, uh, I really got to go. And they said, Don, we're on hold. We've got to shoot. We're just going to be, we're just doing touch-up makeups on, on Eddie. It'll be a minute. I said, you don't understand. I've been drinking water and I've been in the suit for two and a half hours. I got to go. I have, a, I think I can hold it a little bit. And they go, okay. And they said, uh, here. And they poured out some, they gave me the Pepsi bottle. And they pulled the suit off and turned around. And I managed to uh, manipulate myself into the Pepsi bottle. And they kind of took it away and were, were appalled by it. But uh, it's, I, it allowed me to stay in the suit and be on the set. Was there ever a time, because I've been in movie sets before, where exactly what you said happens, happens, because they've got a get, to get a lot of stuff just right to roll. The sound's got to be right. The light has to be right. And so there's a lot of waiting around for that exact moment. Has there ever been a, a time, <laughs> I hate to ask you this, but I'm going to because it's my job. Has there yeah. ever been a time when, you know, you didn't make it out of the suit in time? 
Yes, there has. And I'm glad you asked. Cause it, are you really glad that I asked or are you just saying that? No, I'm not saying it. I, I love to explore the dark side of vape acting. So I'm in, <laughs> I'm in Vancouver, Canada on Teenage Ninja Turtles. And I'm, they have a guest segment with the gorilla. And they're just about to film a scene. And I've been in the suit for eight hours. We started at seven in the morning. And this is now about five o'clock. I'm not good at math. But and you're on the Teenage day. Mutant Ninja Turtles set. And you're yeah. a gorilla in the movie. I have to pee in the worst way. Okay. I don't have a dresser because the dresser was dressing the turtles and me. So there's nobody there. And I said, I gotta, I have to go. And they, I said, I, I, I'll be right back. And all we had was a trailer. I had a, a little trailer and the doors are about 16 inches wide in a, in a Winnebago. And they're even a large human has to kind of negotiate themselves to get through the door. So I got someone to unzip me and they said, hurry back, Don, they're waiting for you, just go. And I got in and I thought, uh-oh. And I, I got the suit open and I pull it down and pull the arms down like this and it's one piece, as I said, and there's the under padding too. So there's this big belly and the chest and I'm pulling pulling the front of the suit down. And I, I thought, I can't stand up because the suit is sort of folded in front of me. So I have to go backwards to like I'm sitting on doing number two on the little tiny toilet. So I get myself situated and I sit back and I go, ah, and I drink, you have to think I've drank a drank, drinking. That's right, I've had consumed about eight or 10 bottles of water. So I'm sitting there and I go, oh man, oh, my bladder's like the size of an NBA basketball. And I go, <laughs> and I peed for what seemed like three, four minutes. <sighs> I didn't hear anything, but you don't really, because those toilets are shaped different. There's no splash down. So go, oh, oh, now I'm able to live. And I, and I pulled up the suit and I put my arms back in it and I, I pull up. And then I feel this, this warm sensation. And I realized that when I'd sat on the toilet backwards, I'd folded the padding of the belly under me. So it basically, basically urinated into my own gorilla belly. Oh my. Padding. And I walked, so I had a, a, about two quarts of, of gorilla pee in my foam padding and down the legs of the suit. And they said, Don, we're waiting, we're waiting. I said, I, I'm coming. And I, was, and I, I, I thought, this is just horrible because I got all, all of this uh, body fluid in my suit. So I walk into the set and I'm starting to leave footprints of moisture. <laughs> so basically, gorilla piss footprints behind me. And they said, what the hell? Did you walk through a puddle or something? And uh uh, yeah, yeah, I was a puddle. <laughs> that right there, that's the glamour of showbiz they never tell you about, you know? Right. So, so that was a end of story there and didn't end well. Yeah, I'm thinking at some point you might transition over to, um, to Depends when you have the suit on. I'm just saying. Yeah, it, it all depends on the movie, I mean, I guess. <laughs> um, have you ever, because it's hot in there, Oh, God, I can't even imagine the smell of that suit afterwards. Um, 
because it, you know it's, you said it's a 50 pound suit and you got the headgear on and you're drinking lots of water because you're sweating you ever pass out in that thing yes uh three times specifically <laughs> cold out cold the worst one was on a movie called tanya's island with prince's uh, early on girlfriend vanity was the co-star and i was the primate star of it and it was a bad movie with a really good beast suit made by my friend rob botine who uh, also is an oscar winner for total recall which i worked on that too but uh, anyway uh, i passed out in this suit and ended up in a puerto rican hospital with uh, uh waking up and you know we were 50 miles away from the nearest hospital and so i was pretty much out the whole time i just lost too much uh, fluids and they had to pump me full of uh, glucose and heart stimulants and that would have been a great a great name for a chapter in the book i woke up in a puerto rican hospital <laughs> yeah that whole story is there it, it was a good one another bad movie that had uh, good opportunities uh, vanity was cute though i mean there are worse people to spend days on a bad movie set with than vanity yeah and, and she rarely had on, on anything besides a loincloth and a string of beads so, so see you know uh, i think there will be a lot of people who are watching or listening to the interview right now who will be on imdb looking that movie up after yeah, this interview it's a bad movie but the i like to think that my performance as the beast and it was a, a Beauty and the Beast theme. So she has a drug-induced dream, supposedly, as a model from Toronto. And she falls into a delirious state and then wakes up in her dream in Puerto Rico with me. And I was called Blue because I have uh, blue eyes. And they didn't want to spend the money for the contact lens. So <laughs> well, they just call them Blue. Hey, don't worry about the contact lens. And uh, so the suit was kind of, uh, I think we have pictures in the book. There might have even been one up there earlier. But uh, So it was a triangle between her boyfriend and me. And she meets, she falls in lust with the gorilla and vice versa. And then her boyfriend has, it's a whole love triangle. It's really ridiculous. But You know, I can't imagine why that didn't pick up an Academy Award that year. But nonetheless, we may have to check it out online. You you kind of blew through. You were in Total Recall with Schwarzenegger? Yeah, I was the head puppeteer on Total Recall, the year, the, the first one, not okay. the remake. Yeah, the, yeah, the one with Arnold, yeah. Yeah, with 2000 or whenever it was. Uh, what kind of guy was he? Was he a cool guy? Yeah, he was cool. He would kind of go, okay, go, go, I got to go. I, we, I need Dolly have a cigar ready. And, uh, you know, Arnold was kind of like a truck out of control, steamrolling through everything. But, uh, you know, uh, he, he, was, uh, he was nice to me. He, you know, I was just basically operating like the Johnny Cab. That was the robot, like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Quaid. Thank you, Mr. Quaid. Thank you, Mr. Quaid. And then Quato was the little creature that lived in the belly of the Martian guy. And open your mind, Mr. Quaid. And I, um, along with my team, I, I had a team of movement artists from LA. It was actually some solid gold dancers and uh, people with good hand-eye body coordination. And uh, we were puppeteers called in at the last minute to uh, make all this stuff happen. On the screen now you're seeing, this is my friend Macarena's uh, uh, house. 
in Beverly Hills, and these are two supermodels that uh, I had my own gorilla greeting card line, and they were hired to uh, pretend they liked the gorilla and float around in this Beverly Hills swimming pool. <laughs> you made money doing that. I just want to stop there for a moment for those of us who have had blue-collar jobs and think Don McLeod made money posing with supermodels in a pool in Beverly Hills in a gorilla suit. Bingo. I'll take the job. <laughs> Amazing. And there's a young Don with, uh, with Marcel Marceau. Very cool. Um, although with all this stuff, and, and maybe I'm reading into this the wrong way, but there was a photo we saw earlier of you at a county fair. It, it almost sounds as if, to hear you talk, the most enjoyment you've got is by being not, not in movie sets and not in Beverly Hills, but being out in the real world and interacting with real people with that suit on. Yes, that's right, Burke. It, it really was. The movies were usually high pressure and, and somewhat chaotic, and you'd get in the suit and they'd say, okay, we'll get right to you, Don. And three hours later, I'm, I'm dying in the suit, and they're going, we'll be right with you. You're a real trooper. Hang in there, buddy. And uh, like the Manitou brains was because uh, David Warner, the actor behind Steve Martin in the photo, had a full page and a half of dialogue and he didn't remember any of it. So he kept <laughs> going three lines in and going, he said, oh, I'm sorry, oh, Don, I know you're dying in the suit there. I'll get it this time. They did 42 takes of this uh. you're seeing it. And he kept apologizing to me and, and Steve Martin was a pro. He'd just, you know, kind of roll his eyes and go, hopefully David Warner Wonderful British actor, by the way, David Warner. Uh, he was in the movie Morgan, where he actually wore a gorilla suit and rode a bicycle around in London. He was kind of a dysfunctional guy, but uh, that was one of the movies I loved with with people in gorilla suits. I forgot you, the question. Did you get most of those calls for, you know, were you, did you become the uh, go-to guy for a while? Oh, we need a gorilla. Let's call Don McLeod. Because there are, there are movies, as I think we actually have a comment here, that, that calls for that occasionally. The Tarzan movies or there was George of the Jungle. Were, were you the go-to gorilla there for a minute? Uh, yes, to some degree. I, I would say I was. Uh, I, I auditioned and didn't get, I was cast in George of the Jungle, and then they cut down that they didn't, I think they only had four and they originally wanted five. And I was the fifth one that I heard about the audition, went to it and they said, oh yeah, we'd love to have you. And then they cut it out of the, they even built a suit that still exists in some special effects person's back closet somewhere. Uh, then I, you know, did, uh, for six months, I lived in uh, Johannesburg and Sun City in South Africa. I was the resident gorilla and monster in Tarzan, the Epic Adventures. Uh, Tarzan was Joe Laura, and I was a bunch of monsters that required my mime and movement stuff. And then the gorilla suits w were pretty funky in, in that series. They were built by a fellow named John Beekler, who was, you know, he did things on the cheap. And... Uh, it looked like it. There it was no Rick Baker gorilla suit as well. No, these were like even, you know, aborigines in the darkest of jungles in uh, somewhere. We'd go, and they go, bad gorilla suit. <laughs> so, yeah, they were bad, but uh, the series was 22 episodes, and I was in 12 of them as various monsters, and the gorilla was in a lot of them too, so. 
And you, um, you've been at this long enough now to see CGI come into movies. Has that negatively impacted your ability to, to do some of this cool stuff? You know, like you talked about as the hip puppeteer and total recall and, and the gorilla suit stuff. Is there less call for those kinds of things now with CGI or has that not affected it? Yeah, no, the CGI big time knocked a lot of uh, uh, great uh, practical effects artists, both designing the costumes and what we would call suit performers or actors in costumes. We were replaced by uh, digital people and digital costumes, but some of the things they combined both. So there is still work, uh, but there's countries that don't really have uh, VFX affects people. So, for example, Turkey. We've done uh, three projects in Turkey. We've done a commercial in Uruguay. We've done stuff in Mexico City. I mean, they do have some special effects, but those are places that maybe don't have a gorilla suit. So they will, you know, go on in, on the internet and go go gorilla costume, movie costume, movie style gorilla, and being I come up uh, pretty high up and. Then we send uh, our suit that we now have uh, to wherever. So we we get some, but with the pandemic, we're like everybody else. You know, I'm I'm sitting in my pajama bottoms and at home. And uh, but as a writer, it's kind of okay because I've been able to to write, and that doesn't require a costume. Or, you know, so. And you can hear all these stories in in Don's writing in the book Gorilla Tales, a memoir. Um, I find it fascinating that you've arrived at this point in your career where, and I, I may not be saying this correctly, but you have a, a gorilla understudy. So you personally don't necessarily get into the suit as much anymore. You have the suit and you send another gorilla out in the suit. That's correct. I have a, a guy who's exactly my height. And, and we just, for the heck of it, got weighed the other day because uh, I, I had lost my bathroom scale. That's how disorganized I am. <laughs> Not too many people can say, yeah, there's so much junk in my house that I lost a, a full-size bathroom scale, but I did. I found I'd put it under the couch because I kept stepping on it rather than getting weighed. We dragged it out, and both my, uh, my partner or protege, fellow Adam Mayer, and I are, are five foot seven. 168.33 pounds. So, uh, yes, he fits it, and he's he's uh, 30 years younger than me, so he's able to take the heat. And he loves the heat because he was born in uh, he he was uh, born I think in in actually in Tel Aviv, and he's from uh, Hungary, but he likes the heat. And when you say, you know, he can take the heat, you mean literally can take the heat of being inside a gorilla suit? Yeah, he. We've had cooling suits. There's things you can plug in that pump ice water through you intermittently on a timer. And then there's ice vests that are frozen. You put them on under the muscle suit. And he doesn't want any of that. He said, I like to just feel the heat. And, and he movie did, he, he was in every scene in a feature film in, uh, that was done in, in Turkey a uh, year and a half ago. And it was plenty hot there in Turkey in the summer. It was about high 90s and very humid, and he, he got what he wanted. But he liked Has it ever crossed your mind that you guys, um, you've been doing for years what the rest of us have learned how to do in the last six months, and that's 
wear a mask. I mean, you had a, a head start on this. You know what to do. Yeah. You just pull it on and stay calm. And, and you must uh, think uh, quite often, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but stop belly aching about wearing a little piece of paper on your mouth because I've got a big animatronic head that I have to pull on and a 50-pound suit, right? Yes, that, that is a consideration. I, I hear people complaining about it, but then they would be justified to say, well, nobody's, you know, sending me residuals in the mail for wearing my, uh, my 3, 3M mask, you know, into uh, Costco. That's, that's, again, amazing to think that you have mailbox money for wearing a gorilla suit for the last three decades. Yeah, I got, uh, I just opened mail the other day and I got a check for 79 cents because uh, Sheena Queen of the Jungle, which I was a resident gorilla for uh, several shows on that show, aired in like Vietnam or something. <laughs> So Vietnamese kids are watching me chase around China. You know, don't spend all that in one place, that 79 cents. I've already put it in the bank and made a penny interest. Unbelievable. What, what uh, as we wrap it up here with Don McLeod, what do you want to be remembered for? What's going to be on your tombstone someday? Uh, that's a good one. I haven't really figured that out uh, yet because uh, it's kind of a final thought. You know, like, I mean, maybe I could keep it open. I could change it. But uh, I think. Because you still have mountains to climb. This may not be it. There may be another really weird detour. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> As he mimes it up there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think there'll be some more stuff. And I'm really excited about the writing. I, there's enough stories for Gorilla Tales uh, 2 or Son of Gorilla Tales or something. Uh, we'll see how this does. But uh, the stories were, I think there's a television show or for each, each chapter is a separate self-contained. There's 19 chapters, you know, and it's, it's kind of about the boy who took a chance and nobody thought that it would make any sense my acting teacher said, don't do mime. What do you mean you want to be a, you're in a gorilla? Say, that's stupid, you know. And I bought the house I'm in now with the gorilla residuals. So. You got to be open to wherever life takes you. And Don McLeod, you're probably the only person on the planet that can say, I bought the house I'm in now because of gorilla suit residuals. <laughs> there may be no one else that can say that. Um, the book is exactly, in my opinion, what we need during this crazy year that we've had. Um, if you're taking some time off during the holidays, and I hope you can, pick up a copy of Gorilla Tales, a memoir, My Life as a Professional Primate, and check out of the real world and check into the amazing imaginative world of mime and gorilla suit auteur, Don McLeod. You can actually get an autographed copy at headlinebooks.com. That's headlinebooks.com. It's part of their holiday extravaganza. Book also available at amazon.com, wherever books are sold. But if you want a personally autographed copy from Don McLeod, uh, pick it up at headlinebooks.com. That's Gorilla Tales, a memoir. Don, it was great spending this hour with you. Amazing stories. I encourage everybody to pick up the book. Thank you, sir. Happy holidays. You're the best, Burke. I love talking to you. Thank you. And thank You're you. very welcome. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. 
Thank you to our sponsor, Speaker Match. I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C. Wherever you go, whatever you do today, make it a great day. Bye, everybody.